The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. I want to begin uh, this morning by just just, uh, making the observation that we are drawn to that which is big. Big things get our attention. That it, it's the big moments of, in life. Those are the things we pull the video camera out for. It's the big uh, moments and dates that we remember, the big vacations. You, if you come on Friday night at 8 o'clock to the comedy show, the, uh, you're going to remember that because it's a big, wonderful moment, way more than uh, having another romantic dinner at McDonald's with, your, uh, with the person that you care about the most uh, in this world. That there's, the big stuff gets our attention, that the, the storm in, northeastern states, it's not just a a big storm, it's a super storm. And as a result, it's getting international attention and all that's happening there. We are drawn towards big things. They get our attention. If you um, uh, notice that you have a black head on your nose, it's really not that big of a deal. It's not big. It's not a big deal. But if you uh, wake up and see that half-inch diameter pimple right on the edge of your nose uh, on prom uh, night or day, that, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal because they're not going to be looking in your beautiful eyes as much as you would like them to because all they're going to see is that little pimple. The big things, they just get our attention. There's a picture that flashed up here on the screen, and it's a picture of a, of a hamburger. There is a restaurant in Pennsylvania that, uh, has, uh, that offers a 15-pound hamburger. 15 pounds. There's 25 slices of cheese on that bad boy, a whole head of lettuce, and two full onions cut up. Now, some of you are kind of grossed out by that. Others of you are going, where is this place? It's awesome. This thing is only $30. It comes with fries, a drink, and a heart attack right there. Big things get our attention. If you, uh, when you go to the Grand Canyon and walk around, the reason that just has our jaws dropping down is just so enormous. I just can't imagine how big this thing could be. If you're in an airport or you're in a restaurant or somewhere and you see a professional basketball player, it's remarkable how big they are in compared to, you know, comparison with normal people. When they're on the court, they just seem normal size. But they're enormous when you get close. It's just, wow, wow. If you looked at the diamond I gave my wife when I asked her to marry me, you would just see how, how impressive big things are. Big things get our attention. Okay, that last one is not exactly true, but you get the point. That when there are big things, they're hard for us to avoid. Big things get our attention. I want to come back to that in just a moment. Like I said, we've been in a journey where we've been walking through stages of a relationship with Jesus, and this final stage that we entered into a few weeks back is this stage of mission. That the whole idea of having a relationship with Jesus is not just for the purpose of you feeling good about yourself and having eternity with God. There is a reason and a purpose for you to be connected with Christ. If you say he is the Lord of your life, you and Jesus are together for a reason. There there are generic concepts to that and there are unique and specific parts of that. Today, we want to look at the reality that, that Part of the mission for each and every one of us, a generic mission, this is not just unique for some people, we are to glorify God. That is our mission. That is why we're here. That is why we're connected with Jesus, to glorify God, to make Him known, to um, 
to, to worship God. That's what we're talking about this morning, to glorify God. This is a theme throughout Scripture. It begins early on, if you remember the story of Moses asking Pharaoh to let the Egyptians uh, be freed from slavery. And the reason Moses says that they would be freed so that they can worship, so that they can worship. And then in the book of Exodus, when they get the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, they begin with, you shall have no other God before me. Glorify God. And then the second commandment is, uh, you shall not make any idols in the, uh, any idols to, to replace or come, come in competition with God. We are to glorify and give our attention to God. This shows up in a number of different phrases and concepts throughout Scripture. There's the concept of worship and praise and laud and honor and magnifying God. And of course, glorifying God. Today we're looking at that, that concept of glorifying. All those phrases are just variations of the same idea. Glorifying God, it, it, the, the word glory means weight or heaviness. There's this with the idea of glory. And when we glorify God, we acknowledge his greatness. We acknowledge just how majestic and, and amazing our God is. That's a part of the process of glorifying God. We make him big. Worship is about making God big. Worship is about focusing on God so that we make him bigger than he was before we started the journey. Now, I know that there are some in the room who are not a fan of, of singing, particularly men. Sometimes uh, uh, not fans of, of the church experience of singing as a part of a corporate worship time. And I get that. I totally, I totally understand. I, I, that's fine. Uh, but let me just kind of encourage you. There's a pretty, pretty macho guy in the New Testament named Paul. We looked at him last week. Pretty amazing guy. And he was uh, sent to prison uh, a few times for his boldness in presenting and talking about the gospel of Jesus. And at one point when he's uh, in prison, it says that he and a buddy named Silas are singing in prison. They're singing in prison. And the whole idea there is that they're making God big by singing, by focusing on God. They make their circumstances small. Their circumstances in prison are not good. So they make their circum circumstances small instead of focusing on the dingy walls in front of them or whatever the circumstances were. Make those small. Make God big. Worship is about making God big. The opposite of that is to leave God small or to pretend that, he, that he's not even there. How many times are we in the middle of an area that we're struggling, whether it's a temptation or, um, or an addiction or something that's a repeated part of our journey, and we have this thought of, if I, can, if I, if I just don't get caught, I'll be fine. If, if I just don't get caught, if nobody sees what's going on, I'll be able to walk away from this, no damage done. Forgetting the fact that God is omnipresent. God is right there going, really? I mean, he's right there watching us saying, as long as I don't get caught. And he's just, he's just aware of it. He's with us always. He's fully aware of it. And it's kind of ridiculous for us to pretend that he's, he can be so small that he'll miss out on what we're doing. He's not spying on you uh, in a negative way. He is present because he loves you. And he wants to encourage you to go in a different direction. 
Think about the, the, the process of addiction, that the first step in dealing with addictions is recognizing how big of a deal this is. That dealing with an addiction is not reducing it to something small and pretending it's something small. It's acknowledging it as a big deal and then hitting it straight on and dealing with it and going after it. So if big things get our attention, how big is your God? How big is God in your life? How, how much attention do you give him? How much do you acknowledge his presence right now, throughout the week, when you're struggling? How big is your God? How do, we, how do you glorify God to make him big in your life? A couple things I want to look at this morning. What happens when we make God big? First of all, when we make God big, we're impressed with him. When we allow him to, be, him to be big, we get all the more impressed with who he is. Like I said, uh, glorify is very similar to magnify, to making God bigger. And sometimes when we, when we magnify ourselves, we, we don't get more and more impressed. We perhaps get more and more the opposite direction. When I go to a nice hotel and they've got that supersonic mirror in the bathroom that's for the ladies to do their thing, I'm, I'm both fascinated and terrified of those mirrors because they're so awesome. You go up to them and you just look right in and my nose is this big. I've never seen my nose that large. And that blackhead that is really not a problem is now the size of a hockey puck. And I just go, wow. The closer I get to myself, to my skin, to all that, the more disgusting it is. When you magnify ourselves, it just kind of gets more grossed out. That's why we use makeup. That's why we put makeup on. That's why we put clothes on to cover this stuff up. That's why, that's why we have photographers with soft lenses. They have the soft lenses, the professional ones, so that we look at the picture and go, wow, I look great. I look great because all my imperfections are gone because it's so soft and wonderful. I've got a great smile, don't I? But when we magnify ourselves, we can be just kind of grossed out about it. If we, if we shift that to God, when we magnify God, we get closer to God. We don't kind of go, ooh, ooh, I, I didn't know that about him. What happens when we magnify God is he gets more and more beautiful. Because there are no imperfections. He's perfect. When we magnify God, we see more of his greatness. In the Old Testament... The psalmist David, King David, he says, I gaze at your beauty. There's a song that I used to sing when I was in college from Steve Green. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. There's this sense of when we glorify, magnify God, we see his greatness and his, and his beauty. There's a phrase that we uh, sometimes throw around, no guts, no glory. We're familiar with that phrase. It basically means that the more we invest in something, the more glory, more of a celebration there is out of that. So um, when there's little investment, little investment of time and energy and all that, uh, little guts, then there's little glory. Little guts, little glory. Big guts, then uh, we pour a, a ton of time into something and a ton of effort into it. Then the glory is that much better. So no guts, no glory means that the more we invest into something, the more we get to celebrate it on the other end. Opening a bag of potato chips is really not that 
complicated of a process, but it can be. There are times where it can be. If my kid says, Dad, will you open this for me? Typically, that means it's one of those tricky ones. And so then I get it, and I, I, I give a first try, and I realize, oh, it, it really is one of those. And then i got to hide my face because I'm wincing because I'm using every muscle in my upper body to try to open up. Why do they seal them with crazy glue and Kevlar uh, finishing? I don't understand that. But we get, and you work on it. Why do they make it so hard? Or those packages, you know, the modern packages now where you need to use... Uh, 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 shears to cut them, cut them open or whatever the thing is, why they make them so hard. As hard as those things are, and you know, potato, tears, potato chips and half the time you know, and the whole thing explodes, but, what, but as hard as those things are to open, rarely if I'm successful do I experience a tremendous amount of glory. R- rarely if I'm successful do I just get excited about, yes, oh, it's a good day in your face, hostess, and you just kind of get excited about that whole experience. Because it's just a bag of potato chips. No guts, no glory. I mean, very little investment, very little celebration that comes out of that. If, however, you've spent years trying to eat better, and so you've been on this journey to take care of this temple that God's given you, not to impress other people, but just to honor God and glorify God because you want to eat better and you want to exercise, and you have made sacrifices, and it has been a, a, a healthy, long process that you've been doing this. Big guts, big investment, big time, big, glory, big guts, big glory. That's something to celebrate. That's something to be thankful for and to go, yeah, that was a whole lot of work, but I'm, I'm thankful for it, and I believe that God's proud of me through that or whatever the journey might be. Big guts, big glory. When it comes to our relationship with God, when we keep him small, when we keep him distant, then we're going to be only mildly impressed by him. So, no guts, no glory. If, we, if it's just kind of a small thing that we experience with him, then we don't get much glory out of it. We don't glorify him very much. So you may enjoy a sunrise on a Sunday morning and go, that is beautiful. But if God is small in your life, if you're not glorifying God, you're not going to connect that sunrise to God very much because God's small. It's a beautiful sunrise. Beautiful. Or you may acknowledge that there's a miracle that's happened in your life or in the healing of somebody you know, and you go, the, the, the statistics are against that happening, but I'm thankful. Wow, I'm so thankful. But if God is small in your life, he's not glorified in your life, he's not going to get much credit. If God has loved you in subtle, wonderful ways, yet God is not being glorified in your life, he's not gonna, you're not going to connect it to him. Small guts, small investment there, small glory. We're not glorifying him much. If, however, God is big for you, you're thinking in, in, in ways where God is big, then the times when we invest big guts and we are saying, we are saying God, I, I'm going to make bold and courageous decisions in my family, in my relationships, with my temptations, in honor of you, big investments like that, they flow into big glory. They flow into big glory. We have been designed to worship God. We've been created to glorify God. And when we do that, we get closer to him. Instead of being grossed out, we're impressed. The more we invest in that, the more we experience, the more glory that we experience. The second thing that I want to pull out that happens when we make God big is that we are transformed 
We are moved by that experience. We are transformed. Like I said, um, when we magnify ourselves, we see the ugliness. We see the reality that there is... um, that there are things that we do that are not honoring to God, that we are selfish, we are prideful, we, are, um, we, we twist the truth at times. How many of you parents of young children, how many of you parents this week stole Halloween candy from your kids? How many of you did that? How many of you did that? Okay, a few. Raise your hands, okay. The statistic is that, um, that 90% of people of parents steal candy from their kids. Now, I don't really care what your, what your thoughts are, your excuse is, and say, well, the kid was in bed, it's all really, we share things in our family and it's all just a part of the deal. Whatever your uh, justification is, you, you're, you're, a, you're a thief. I mean, seriously. I mean, there's no other way to break that down. You stole candy from your child. There's just no way to break that down. And then there's uh, a number of other people, probably more, who did not raise their hands who did it. So you're a thief and a liar. Right here, right here in church. Let's just face reality that we are broken. We're imperfect. And we need transformation. I want to take a look at a verse that Paul writes, the very same Paul we've been talking about before, in a book named Philippians. It's a letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. It's a little tiny letter. I'm looking at Philippians chapter 4. And this letter is a very positive, encouraging letter. It's just four chapters. I highly encourage you to read the whole thing. Great, great, great letter from Paul. And he finishes it in chapter 4, verse 8. He says this, Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. So when we're dealing with our ugliness and our imperfection, it's not an issue of avoidance. We can't be strong enough or efficient enough to avoid any problems in our lives. Okay, just think about the internet and how that could uh, have such a a damaging effect on things that we can uh, check out through there. We can have systems and checks and balances and make sure this communicates to this. We can do a great job with that. There's always ways around that. You're a parent with a teenage kid. There are always ways around that. They're smarter about your computer than you are. There's always ways around that. You can't just avoid these things all the time. We can make smart decisions, but we can't just avoid them. What Paul says here is it's not so much about avoidance as it is about substitution. It's instead of avoiding all these things, it's substituting something good for that thing, that bad thing that we are tempted with. Because the reality is we can't completely get away from things that are destructive. We can't get away from it. The monks, uh, ancient monks, hundreds of years ago, their whole idea initially was to get away from sin and form these monasteries and be in these monasteries where they can be free from the temptations. And what they realized soon is that the temptations, they just changed. They followed them into the monasteries and they had to deal with different temptations where they were of pride and whatever the things might be for them in that situation. We can't run away from it. You can't avoid your sexual desires your things that draw you in, you can't avoid them completely any more than you parents can avoid the Reese's peanut butter cup. 
that's there every night after the kids go to bed with the wonderful peanut butter wrapped around in the rich creamy chocolate. You can't avoid, and yes, I put my hand up when I said uh, uh, stealing uh, candy from children. We can't avoid that stuff. It's a matter of, of substitution so that when we glorify God, when we allow God to be bigger in our lives, it transforms us. When we glorify God, then we make these things big. We make truth big. We make that which is right, that which is noble, purity, Love, loveliness, whatever is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, we make those things big. When we, glorify, when we glorify God, those things get big, and then all the stuff that wants to sneak in there, that the world wants to push in and tempt us with, they don't have any space. The nasty stuff doesn't have any room when God becomes bigger. Does that make any sense? We are made to glorify God. We are made to glorify God, to make Him bigger. Now, you can do that on your own. Um, that's where this whole idea of spiritual disciplines comes in. And we talk, there's a number of different spiritual disciplines that you can do as a part of your journey this afternoon and tomorrow morning. And we encourage, and the scripture encourages us to pray, to have a regular, ongoing way that we make God big in our lives. That we start our day off by saying, I want my circumstances to be smaller and my God to be bigger as we launch into our days. And those are part of personal spiritual disciplines. And you can read scripture so that you allow his truth to be bigger in your life. That's why we encourage you to do our Bible reading plan. If you haven't heard about that or haven't joined up with that yet, you can go to the website, mountainpark.org, and you can join there. It says Bible reading plan. And, um, and uh, we're in the book of Numbers right now. We're halfway through Numbers. We're going to take our plan through the end of next year. We invite you to join us on that. It's a part of a spiritual discipline to say, I want God to be bigger in my life. But there's something unique and wonderful that happens when we gather together and we glorify God together. There's something different. This is not the only place where we can glorify God, but there's something beautiful and, and unique that happens here. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. Romans is uh, before Philippians. The books, the letters of Paul are basically all lined up together in the New Testament, and they're not chronological. They're for the most part, they're just size. They just go from larger to smaller for the most part, Paul's letters. That's the way they ordered them when they put the scriptures together. So Romans is one of the larger uh, letters that he wrote. Romans chapter 15, he says this in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, we talked about that uh, last week, give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ so that with one heart, and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. When there's brokenness here amongst ourselves, when there's artificiality, when there's dishonesty amongst ourselves, here in this room, we're, we, we know stories over there, we know what's happening over there, and we know what's happening over there, and we're uh, not reconciled here. When all that stuff is happening, we, when we are attempting to glorify God, we are making God small. 
We make God small when there's all this brokenness amongst ourselves and we're trying to glorify him. It's like, and we have this, this big cross here that's often as a part of our uh, worship uh, time. This big cross, a symbol of what Jesus did. And, and it's like uh, having a little cross like this instead. We make, we make God, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a little cross, but comparatively, this is smaller. And so this is kind of what we do with God sometimes when we continue all the brokenness amongst ourselves. And we, and we say, yeah, we're going to glorify God. He's so, so great. We're going to say, God, you're awesome. You're so awesome. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And he becomes cute maybe. When we have uh, this stuff going on amongst ourselves and we're comparing with one another and we're judging one another and we're jealous of one another, then what happens is we make ourselves big. It's all about me. I'm making myself big. Make my head big because I'm judging you. I feel better about myself. We're making our insecurities big because someone's judging us. But it's still big. It's big. My anger is big because of the way we're treating one another. We become big and God becomes small. When there's disunity amongst us here. Paul says, verse 5, I'll read it again. May God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. A spirit of unity among yourselves. May we be together. And we're not just together about, about anything. Let's just come and agree on something. At least we're together. That's not it, because we could all decide after research and plenty of time together, we could all decide as a group that Canadians are all demons. They are soldiers in Satan's army that are coming to buy up all the houses so they can eventually take over the world. That's their whole plan, and we've decided, and we are in unity on that fact. We could decide that, but that's not, a, that's not really right. Not, I mean, not as far as I'm aware of. <laughs> Paul says, may he give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So not just around anything that we decide is important, and may we have unity around the one, Jesus Christ. May we have unity around his character, his person, his mission, his calling, all the things that we've been talking about this year, all the things that we've been learning about Christ this whole year. May our unity be about Jesus Christ so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have a mission. That's why we're connected with Jesus, so that we can glorify the Father. May we, as a part of our corporate worship, our gathering time, may we, may we put less attention on the small things. So, so many conversations about worship are about, are about the details and who's leading worship and what song did they choose and what key was it in and was it too loud and were the lights appropriate? I can't worship when there are red lights. That's ridiculous. What do you expect of me? And whatever the conversations might be, those things are important. As a staff here, we think about those things and we want to do all that we can to, to be intentional so that we can have meaningful experiences here and put out track record CDs so you can put them in your car and learn the songs so we know them more and we can come together and pick great songs and the whole deal. That's important stuff, but it's small compared to the God that we're trying to focus on. The whole idea of it is to make God big, not Mountain Park, 
not the worship leader, not how great the band is, not how great the lighting is, whatever. Those are small issues compared to how big God is. So that when we disagree or struggle with whatever's going on, that we can just think, God, I want you to be big here. Because the purpose of worship is to make God big. So let me, let me, just, let me just close with one final question. Is When has God been biggest in your life? If you are a follower of Christ, has there ever been a time where God has been so big that the distractions of life were small? Has God ever been that big for you? What do you do to make God big in your life? Some people like to teach. So some people like to, instead of just reading and learning, that they want an an outlet, an avenue in order to pass this on, to encourage and influence other people. That's why, that's why some people uh, lead D groups, and it's an encouraging and inspiring thing to say, I want to I lead a group of people towards a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. That's why some people uh, uh, participate with student union, and they, they facilitate a D group there to pour into young kids in that way. That's why some people invest in children's ministry here so that they can pour into, into kids in that way to say, I wanna, when I do that, God's bigger in my life. I'm thinking more about what I'm saying. I'm not just reading scripture. I'm real. I want to make sure I understand what's happening here. And that's a way to make God bigger in their life. Some people love to serve others. And it's just a natural thing. They want to find ways. Uh, uh, maybe you're blessed with time or you're blessed with resource. And you say, I want to pour that into other people here in our community or in here, here in our city. You want to pour into those who are less fortunate. And that, in that process, God becomes bigger for you. That's a part of your worship. Fantastic. Some people go on mission trips. Mission trip junkies. And they, and they go, and it's, and it's fantastic because they know when they go on a mission trip, when they get out of the rat race that is the world here, and they take time off, and instead of uh, doing a, uh, some kind of vacation, like going to Belize or something, or having on a boat, which is so selfish, instead of doing that, they might go, just kidding, uh, 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 they might go uh, to, uh, to um, a country on a mission trip and just pour into that, and in that process, their God becomes very big. What do you do to make God big in your life. What's the, what are the pieces? Has God ever been really, really big in your life? As we close here this morning, we're gonna give you an opportunity to, to glorify God, to make God big. May you focus your attention on him, not on the small details, but on making God big. That's what worship is, it's making God big. The band's gonna come out and lead us through a couple songs. If you're new or visiting with us, there are a number of different responses that you can participate in around the room, or you can just sit where you are. You can come and light a candle. And, and in pitch black, in pitch darkness, one little candle is a big light. That's the point of this, that in darkness, Jesus is the light of the world. The one thing that can light up that darkness is Christ. And maybe that's what you want to light up in some area of your life or someone you, you care about. Or perhaps uh, this morning you want to come to this, this big cross. Big cross. It's just a symbol. But you can come and you can write on one of these red pieces of paper. You can write on something on there that is big that you brought into this place. But when you nail it to that cross, it becomes small under the power and the weight and the glory of the cross. May we take these next few moments and make God 
big, so big that you can't avoid him. You can't walk around him. You can't ignore him. May God be big here in this room. Let's pray. Father, we have, we have no clue how big you are. <laughs> we can make attempts. We write songs with lyrics that are just making attempts to express how beautiful and how big you are. And God, I pray that that, that phrase, you being big, is, is just wonderfully translated into our hearts. That, that it, it, it means you being majestic, you being impressive. We get closer to you and we, we feel the warmth. Instead of you being distant and, and us being mildly impressed with you, but you are right in front of us and we can be in awe of you. I pray, God, that, that today this idea of, of being big, that it, it would allow us to be transformed, that you come fill all those cracks that like to be filled with the pressures and the temptations of this world, that you can be so big, those places don't have room. In whatever way you're stirring hearts here in this room, uniquely and wonderfully, I pray in these next few moments that you'd be big. In Jesus' name, amen.